Hey, thanks for listening to our podcast. If you want to listen live in the central Indiana area, you can hear us on 93.5 FM and 107.5 FM. What in the hell do you think you're doing? Hey, John Boy. I'm telling you straight, it's my way or the highway. So anybody wants to walk, do it now. Hey, everybody, we're all going to get late. And again, it's picked up. It's Darius Leonard. A pick six for the Maniac. Touchdown, I-N-D-Y. Yes, sir. Oh, the chicken. Double time. John, I have never been better to be on the air with you here in Indianapolis, a place where so many of my dreams have come true. The Ride with JMV on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Hey, welcome in, and we're live in Avon today off of US 36. This is our Buffalo Wild Wings Blue Monday in gear. And for the first time, we are in Avon again, US 36. I'd love to see you out here. And I know that because we go all the way back to Thursday, the last time the Colts played, normally these events are right after a Sunday game. But we still have a lot to talk about. In fact, you could probably dig deep and talk endlessly about that game, mostly for the negative with the exception of that was a win on Thursday night in Denver. But we certainly will hit that, no doubt about it. The weekend that was in football, going all the way back to that Thursday nighter in Denver, whether you're talking about IU in Michigan, Purdue on the road in Maryland, Notre Dame and BYU. And I will tell you this, uh, maybe a little bit more this time of year, Certainly a little bit more if the Reds were ever any good at anything besides being not good. They're really good at that. If they were any good at anything, we would be talking more, I'm sure, not a great deal, but more about the Major League Baseball postseason because I don't know about anybody else. I love the wild card round. I absolutely loved it. And maybe it was because I, I liked watching Toronto and Seattle and that game, putting up lots of runs, or San Diego and the Mets, I thought was really good. And it's not because the Cardinals got bounced in two straight at the hands of the Phillies. I just thought the wild card round with that sense of urgency was incredibly fun as hell to watch last night. And then Buck Showalter gave us all a great deal of even more fun by going out and trying to break the concentration of Joe Musgrove last night and checking behind the ears. That was awesome. I love that. So, no, seriously, we're not going to talk about it that much. But at the same time, these wildcard round games were incredibly fun to watch. Of course, it's off tonight, and it fires back up with the NL and the ALDSs, respectively, coming up tomorrow. And you got Monday Night Football on the docket tonight. You should have a good one. The Raiders and the Chiefs in Kansas City at Arrowhead coming up later on tonight, round about 8.15. I know you guys were watching yesterday, right? And I held back, and here's why. Because I know everybody yesterday made Carson Wentz once again the butt of jokes because he had the opportunity with the Washington Commanders, the opportunity to give the Colts a little bit of help side. Actually, not even a little bit of help side, but a lot of help side. The opportunity was there late in a game, and we've been down this path before. We saw it a year ago late in the game. There was some bad decision-making that was going on. 
And what happened? He threw a pick. Tennessee goes on to win. And can you imagine after that Thursday night game and then going back and reflectively thinking about what we have talked about with this Colts team throughout this early season? We're now with the Colts through five weeks. Other than that Kansas City game, have we really talked nicely about them? I mean, other than the Kansas City game. There's not been a lot of nice conversation, has there? Honestly, not really a lot of good, positive stuff. Not a lot of great conversation happened. But it's funny. Can you imagine if we were talking about that team all alone in first place? Yeah, it's funny. Everybody talks about the AFC South, and everybody always says this. God bless the AFC South, whatever. It is most of the time a discombobulated mess, but much like that game on Thursday night, it's an interesting discombobulated mess. I'll go back to Thursday for a moment. Listen, it was boring. It was tough to watch. Ooh, that looks really good, Cam. Thank you very much. I'll explain what looks really good in just a second, unless you're already watching inside the lounge via YouTube Live. The camera looks outstanding, and we're back with you, by the way. I'll explain all the ways, all the devices in which you can fire up to get us in a second. But you go back to that game on Thursday night again, and while it was tough to watch, I, you almost, to me, I started laughing about it, and I thought, man, we're watching something that doesn't happen too often. This level by both teams of bad football, right? It was that level of bad football. But you know what? Somebody basically, unless you tie, has to win. And the Colts go out and win, and unfortunately, Every time you talk about this football team, we end up lowering the bar of expectations, like lower, lower, lower. That's why I always say this is not what's supposed to happen. This is not how it's supposed to look here. That's very true. Not how it's supposed to look. I mean, across the board, if you want to look at the offense, that's not how it's supposed to look. Even if you think that Matt Ryan's washed at the age of 37, he still shouldn't look that bad more times than not. And there's no way in the world this offense should look as bad as it does. And certainly this offensive line that they're still, I saw Frank Reich's comments earlier today. Now we'll see where they go with the offensive line. I don't know if you're just going to like draw from a hat or whatever happens coming up against Jacksonville on Sunday. I just don't think with Bernard Ryman, for example, I don't think that that was first game starting jitters right there. I think that's probably the level of football you're going to get for the foreseeable future. I'm not suggesting that's what he is going to be because they certainly believe that he is going to transition into being that starter. That's not going to be, in my opinion, his complete level of football, but right now it is. Right now, to me, that is who he is because right now, to me, that of what we have seen is exactly this offensive line for the Colts. But honestly, you go back to this and you think about exactly where this team is right now, considering the level of football consistently that they have given you. Yeah, listen, make no bones about it. It's been awful. It's been absolutely awful. Yet, I was talking a little bit earlier to some people in the office, and we were going out about, can you believe where they are as far as the division is concerned? And I can, because that division is that bad. And normally, not only is that division that bad, but it's also completely discombobulated. 
But if you watch Jacksonville yesterday, like we declare Jacksonville is the next great thing, and then they give you reasons why they're not the next great thing. We declare the Colts being the next great thing at the start of the season, and they pull that old act that we have seen certainly in recent history far too many times. They just do it. Uh, Houston, I don't know what you make of Houston. And Tennessee may be the only constant because they're not any good either. They are just more of a tougher-slash-grinding team than anybody else. They can get it done that way. And, and that's, that is why you look at Tennessee from this angle. You trade A.J. Brown. Your offensive line is dinged up. Taylor Lewan's done for the season. Harold Landry's gone from that defensive line. Um, obviously, Derrick Henry has not been, for the most part, in the past, what, season and in five weeks, what you thought. But the thing that's scary about Tennessee is the reason why I told you going into that Titans game the week before last that Jim Irsay is very smitten with his Titans team. And, and in fact, probably to a level of jealousy, especially when the Titans do to them in their own building what they did a week ago Sunday. Very smitten about it because he would love to be able to see his team win that way. In fact, they win in a way that I'm sure Chris Ballard would probably feel a great deal of gratification about. They win in a fashion in which they are built for the most part. But see, they're different than anybody else. All these other teams, normally you get something that's malfunctioning, something that's not working, and it's going to be tough for you to get over. But for Tennessee, like yesterday on that final play, or as you saw the resiliency against the Colts the, the Colts the week prior, that's exactly what they are. They're not a good football team, but they're more resilient, they are tougher, and they grind better than anybody else within this division. That is what you're going to have to fight if you're the Colts. People ask me all the time, do you see this offense getting that much better? I don't see this offense getting that much better. I think Alec Pierce will get better. I would say this regarding the offensive line, if it doesn't, Pass protect better? That's a joke. So I would, because it's been so bad at some point, expect them to be better pass protectors. But again, you look at the personnel, and it's kind of like that old term that we use all the time. It is what it is. I mean, it certainly looks that way. It certainly doesn't look like that they can make that many strides. But again, what you're going to have to catch up with in this this particular division is you're going to have to catch up with the grinding that Tennessee does. That's what Tennessee does the best. And whether or not you give, you know, all that to their head coach, Mike Vrabel, but there's a reason why Jim Irsay has been smitten or jealous. That's the reason why he brought them up so much because that has, for the most part, been their success. Just being resilient, just grinding. That's what they've done over the years to lead them to be the one seed in the AFC a year ago or to lead them to the AFC title game the year prior. It doesn't seem like much to catch up with, doesn't it? Doesn't. It just doesn't. But at the same time, you have to have a little bit more. And I think that you look at all these teams within the AFC South and they're all fairly, if not completely, equal. The thing that stands out is Tennessee is just tougher and just more resilient. And until somebody proves me otherwise on that, that's exactly how I'm going to look at that. And I think Carson Wentz or not, 
You saw that yesterday. Now, I mentioned I didn't jump in on everybody going off and making jokes about Carson Wentz. You want to know why? Because I got this kind of filter to where I'm not going to make jokes or go into the level of jackassery uh, that normally you might. Because right now, we're all in that jackassery here. We're living in a world of jackassery. That's the way that it is with this football team. You know, win or not on Thursday night, that's where we are right now. That's where we are with the quarterback play. You know, laughing at, giggling about, making fun of what was Carson Wentz a year ago and equating that to what was Carson Wentz yesterday, that is all fine. And then you remember how your quarterback played on Thursday night. That does kind of whiz on the greatness of your joke-making via social media. I know everybody is probably going to get in line with it, but I, I looked at it and I thought, you know what? doesn't make a lot of sense for me making fun of somebody else's quarterback when the quarterback here has been as awful, if not more awful. So I kind of look at it, I guess, from a realistic viewpoint. And then the other reason it wasn't funny is because it hurt the Colts. It hurt your team. So I had all these jokes loaded up and ready. Seriously, I had jokes. All these jokes from a year ago, all these things we have talked about, all the reasons the Colts tried to move away and did move away and move on from it. I had them all loaded, and I thought, well, wait a minute. When you think about it, you know, the Colts quarterback situation is not like it's any better right now. It's just better because you're coming off a win, but that win didn't have a great deal to do with Matt Ryan, did it? I'm not suggesting that he is altogether as bad, for example, as we witnessed on Thursday night. I don't know how far off of it he is. And I know it's a complete breakdown with that offense in general, especially the offensive line and the quarterback position. But I kind of found myself looking at that and I go, all right, you got to be a realist on this. Now, the Wentz thing, while, while, while humorous, and there are many jokes that you could come up with out there, you really got to kind of look in the mirror if you're a Colts fan and go, do I want to make that joke? Because it's not like you're sitting in any better position right now at that position. Not at all. That's what I thought about yesterday. I, I know normally you don't do that. Normally, normally the realistic approach to social media is thrown right out the window. Normally, you're the biggest hypocrite in the world in social media. Notice that? The biggest hypocrites in the world, they absolutely thrive in social media. They thrive on Twitter. The biggest hypocrites in the world. It's like the whole Draymond Green thing in Golden State, right? I mean, you knew exactly what was coming. So he jacked a teammate, got mad, jacked a teammate, and then basically over the course of apologizing for doing that, he made himself the victim. And social media has been made perfect. Twitter has been made perfect for that. Because you have some of the biggest buttholes in the world that come out and say their thing and start crap, say stuff, and then when they get called down on it, they play the victim role. It's perfect. It is perfect for the buttholes. It is. So I try really hard. It's not suggesting that I always come out and I don't 
like look at one because again the translation of it all is is what it is i, I mention this all the time you can make a translation of, of what you're saying and have nothing to do with what other people and how other people take it i mean it is once it's out there it is open for translation but to me i thought yesterday Taking shots at Wentz was incredibly hypocritical for me that I cover the Colts, but certainly for Colts fans because it, it screwed your team that you like so much. And then you really look in the mirror about your quarterback situation and it's not like it's any better. So who the hell does that make feel better? You? Just curious. So I did back away. That didn't make me great. Doesn't make me smart. Doesn't make me better than anybody else. I just took a moment to think about it. And I go, yeah, you know what? I'm not even going to do this. Not even going to do it. Because it did. I mean, it did put them in a lesser situation than they could have been. I mean, he could have swooped in swinging on a chandelier like Zorro and scored a touchdown and everybody would have been thrilled. But the moment he threw that interception and there come all the jokes, it just seemed to me to be incredibly hypocritical to lob that in there considering the present-day quarterback situation right here that I'm sorry has to get drastically better. You know, it's okay. You can continue because the reality of it is that's where the AFC South is. You can, and I'm assuming most will, continue to lower the bar. But at some point, you're going to get up against a team that has a much higher level bar, and you're going to have no chance. And that's when I say all the time, this is not how it's supposed to look. Because if it looks this way, you got no chance to be what you think, what you believe, or what you believe you should be. You have no chance. You know, this just basically bridges the gap from one week to the other. This saves Chris Strasser's job, right? This makes Jim Mercer or Chris Ballard not have to make a move. You know, this validates going out there and playing because that's what happens when you win or you lose. If you win, you validate it no matter what. That's why Friday was so weird. I can't remember a time when I came on to where most people felt so bad and was so angry and wanted to rip on what took place in Denver, yet... The team that you're talking about won. I mean, it was really all good. It was the worst game of all time. Both teams were terrible. But it was all good. The Colts have taken us many places, I think, right? Since the end of the Luck era and going all the way back since the end of the Manning era, if you want to go there. Really, you can go back even further. Since the beginning of the Manning era. People always ask me, People say, you know, you just kind of, you know, you look at this, the, the Colts fans and, you know, they're just so used to winning, so used to winning, too used to winning. Now you're not used to winning. Um, finally, the Colts, Jim Irsay and company made good on what he had talked about over the years when most of us sat through all those dismal, all those putrid, all those awful seasons where they're the butt of jokes. No, they got to a place to where they raised the bar. They got to a place to where they were considered elite. And that's what Jim Mercer had talked about, wanting to be, expecting to be. So why would the fans also expect that? You should. Again, I know we view every season as different. I know we view every moment in time, especially during an NFL season, as completely different. 
But you do have to understand that we do continue to lower the bar on this. And at some point, it's going to be raised to where this team's not going to be able to compete. Now, I heard Frank Reich earlier today say in very Frank Reich fashion, we're still, you know, I'm still very high on this offense. Well, you would expect really nothing less, but there's not much visual evidence of that yet. And as I always say, it starts up front. If that broken group, as I've talked about now for how long, if that broken group cannot be repaired, cannot be fixed, then you have no chance. Because that's how Chris Ballard has built this team. That's how he has built this offense. That's why they were sold on bringing a 37-year-old quarterback here for their third reboot. That's exactly why. Somebody reached out to me yesterday, and I think it was kind of in a crank fashion, but whatever. Regarding Jacoby Brissett, and, and that's another thing about Twitter, too. I mean, you fire something off, and then literally like five seconds later, you look like a horse's ass, right? Uh, so you, you got to be careful about that. I know some of you don't care, but uh, for those of you out there that are keeping receipts, I try really hard not to be that way. So I guess it was during the first half when Brissett for Cleveland was playing well, and he had a couple of touchdowns, and everything felt good in the world of Cleveland. And Brissett, he fired off a tweet to me and Bowen and said, hey, you guys always thought Frank was crazy for believing in Jacoby Brissett and calling Jacoby Brissett what he was in that fashion. And then what happened? And then he ends up throwing a pick that was costing them the game. So, no, that doesn't that that moment in time doesn't change my mind from three years ago. Right. Doesn't change my mind from three years ago. You know, he's not a top 20 quarterback, as they said he was. They were they were trying to sell you back then on, hey, this is all going to work out, even though your guy just quit. They were trying to sell you on that, and then you saw it, whether or not you want to blame on him or blame on Vinatieri, whatever. But then and then now, he's not. Now, they're just hoping in Cleveland that he is a formidable enough stopgap before they get Deshaun Watson back in there coming up in December, which you saw yesterday, both he and Wentz, you saw a couple of former Colts quarterbacks uh, give you ample reason um, especially in big, important, game-winning, losing situations, why both weren't going to work here beyond all the other crap that we talked about, whether we're talking about Vinatieri and keep rolling him out there when he was missing, when he was injured back then, or whether you're talking about Wentz last year with why does the owner not like him, it's all because he's non-vaxxed or all that. All that stuff aside, you saw the major reasons with both yesterday as to why things weren't going to work here. Yeah, there are other things. Don't get me wrong. There are other variables going on. But you saw those specific reasons yesterday. Uh, we'll talk about that if you like at 239-1070. Email the address at jmv at 1075thefan.com. We are live in Avon today, Buffalo Wild Wings. It is a balloon Monday with Buffalo Wild Wings. Our friends from Zinc are here with Bud Lights. I'm going to crack one open in just a second and get you started on what is going to be a fun, and I mean a busy afternoon. We have Colts tickets to give away, which I would love to see you out here off of US 36 in Avon. The Pacers had their fan jam yesterday. I don't know who the kid was. But I thought that was awesome. Anytime you can implement a little kid out on the floor 
with the Pacer team, as we saw yesterday, that was on the Pacer website. I know that they tweeted that out. They sent that out via their social media. That was awesome. That was absolutely, that's exactly what you need because it is going to be a lot more with this Pacer season about stuff like that than it is about the expectations of winning. And if you miss Rick Carlisle with us last week, nobody understands that more than the Pacers head coach. And listen, this is the smart move to make. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, always be selling. They're selling. They're selling you on this product. They're selling you on a product right now that's not going to be ready for prime time, a product that they believe in longer term, but this season is not going to be ready. There's zero wrong with that. That's why I said in a season like this, you're going to have to grasp, for the most part, other things, things other than winning, things other than what is the ultimate success. Well, wait a minute. Didn't you just talk about all that mattered with the Colts was winning? Sure, because they're at a different spot. These two things are not relatable. They're in a completely different position right now. They're out there selling this product. Out there, there's a reason why you have to go. It is new and a fresh thing. They understand this at some point, that, that new fresh feeling like it does in your new car, that new car scent wears off, and then they don't want you to become resentful because that level of winning isn't there. So, no, that is the smart move that they're making right now. And they're completely different sets of circumstances between the Pacers and the Colts. Tony East is going to join us coming up at the top of the hour. We'll talk to him about the Pacers fan jam and then starting the regular season coming up here relatively soon. Yeah, I know. I saw that on Friday night, too. Uh, Obi Toppin going between the legs and doing the – I mean, it's it's – now, I'm surprised that doesn't happen more like a regular season NBA game when everybody's just kind of screwing around. But, yeah, you can see that coming a mile away. I mean, that's just kind of, yeah, whatever. Everybody got thrilled with that. Pacers lose. You're going to see a lot of that this season. But they hope that you remain engaged. Uh, the Colts hope that you remain engaged, but they also put something together that is anywhere in the vicinity of expectations. Uh, we got that and more for you, too. I mentioned IU, Purdue, Notre Dame, the college football weekend, Texas A&M's final call with an opportunity to win, and Jimbo Fisher came up with that on Saturday evening. We will talk about that. I have absolutely loved the MLB wild card. I hope that both the division series are as good as the wild card games, and I know that the wild card games in a couple of circumstances were two zip and done. But I think they have been incredibly exciting. I, I wanted Toronto and Seattle to continue through seven games. Oh, this is fun as hell. I was entertained. Both the AL and the NLDS. Fire up for you coming up tomorrow. Monday Night Football, the rest of what was week five on a Sunday yesterday. We'll dive into all that and more. Again, Avon, Buffalo Wild Wings. It is a Blue Monday. We got Colts tickets to give away with our friends from Buffalo Wild Wings off of US 36. We are in Avon today, everybody. I would love to see you out here. The ice cold Bud Light is flowing. Tony East, Stephen Holder, and a lot more for you on this Monday. We can double back and talk to Colts on Thursday night if you want to do that as 
well. The app is up and it's working right now. You can check that out. The stream and the video, you got it right on me via YouTube Live inside the lounge. As I mentioned, the stream is working. You got HD radio and, of course, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Back with you next. The Ride with JMV. I'm the boys, friends. and 93.5 The Fan. We are live in Avon today, everybody. Buffalo Wild Wings on a Blue Monday. I've got tickets for you, too. On a Bud Light Blue Monday. Thank you for joining us. Buffalo Wild Wings off of US 36. We are in Avon today. Thank you for joining us. Cam, the on-site engineer. Back in the studio is Kyle. At JMV 1070 on Twitter, Colts fans still ripping on Wentz. Wow, the day Wentz left for the Commanders, I moved on. Actually, not surprised, folks, are still in Wentz's orbit, considering some haven't gotten over Andrew Luck. Focus, in my opinion, on the Colts right now, the present, not the distant past. Hey, listen, I'm all for good jokes. I'm all for funny jokes. I just thought yesterday, this is just me. I don't care if anybody else drops in you know, the occasional ribbing at all. But to me, what I saw yesterday was quarterbacking compared to Thursday night that's probably still better right now. Yeah, even with that decision at the end. And I just don't know if I can sit here and not be incredibly hypocritical with you as far as, you know, what took place, for example, with that game. I don't think that's me right there. Is that me right there coming over? All right. I wonder what the, what the, oh, oh, that is. Sorry about that. That is me, isn't it? Is that me being double audioed there? Can you hear that clearly, Kyle, back there? Not clearly, just but I, the could hear, I could hear the double audio. Oh, cool. My, that's my bad. I allowed double audio there, and that's not good. But, no, getting back to what I was talking about, I, I, I just, if you're a realist of this team right now, if you're a realist of this team, you, you can't, I don't think you can say anything without being incredibly hypocritical about it. I try really hard. I mean, there may be some points when I don't make it. But if nothing else, I try really hard for not being hypocritical. And then I'll just do what everybody else does on Twitter. As soon as somebody calls, you know, you're an a-hole. If somebody calls you out, you play the victim role. That's what always happens. Fetty writes this. The offense does not look good, but the Colts are 2-0 and against the division. You spent all offseason praising and calling the Colts schedule difficult because they had to play the AFC West. And Fetty, the problem with that, see, here's where we are. Here, that is an absolute great example, Fetty, that you give me, thank you, of where we are. There's nothing good about that. The fact that you're hanging in may be the only thing that you can reasonably grasp as being positive. Because you're 0-2-1 within your own division. See, that's why I talk about lowering the bar. I mean, you're supposed to expect more than this. And my problem is it's going to continue to get lower. At some point, this team is going to have to step up and give you a reason to raise that thing. This is not a reasonable outlook for this team this year. I don't want to see a team that just hangs in and, hey, well, you're going to give yourself a chance within your own division. It's supposed to be better than that, Fetty. You just make my point for me right there. It's the AFC South. You know that division everybody calls awful, historically bad, weird, odd, ridiculous. Oh, two and one. I mean, honestly, it is a damn good thing. 
that Travis Kelsey dropped the touchdown pass or Chris Jones got a flag or Sky Moore couldn't judge a punt. It's incredibly fortunate that the offensive play calling, that the decision-making from Russell Wilson was so incredibly bad that the Colts were able to hang in and they get a win. It's incredibly fortunate because I, I don't know what we'd be talking about otherwise. Well, I do know what we'd be talking about. So, yeah, you just, to me, at some point, everybody wants this team to be held accountable. That's how you hold it accountable. You can leave that type of talk to Frank Reich because that's probably something Frank Reich would say. Or at least in that particular vicinity is something that Frank Reich would say. And I'm still really high on this offense. I know he's not going to come out and say, well, you know what? This sucked and that sucked and everybody sucked offensively. I know he's not going to say that. Just feel fortunate. Feel fortunate that this team is where they are right now. But everything is not glowing considering that you beat two teams from the AFC West. At some point, everybody always talks about, well, it's got to be you and the media. You got to hold them accountable. Hey, listen, there's no doubt that I sit here and do that on a daily basis. I'm just not a butthole about it. But at the same time, it's up to you guys too. You guys can't give me takes like that. Oh, well, at least they beat two teams in the AFC West. Well, again, if they were in the AFC West, things would be looking good. Unfortunately, they're in the AFC South, and that is supposed to be fortunate. That's where they are. So that's what I talk about with the lowering of the bar. Hey, as an end result, if you lower it all the way to the floor and they end up winning the division and hosting a playoff game, then so be it. We'll consider that when and if that happens. But the only thing you have to consider right now is what we have seen. And they're very fortunate to be where we are presently seeing them. Not just within their own division, but within the AFC in general. That's just tough. That's a tough call right there. Uh, Janvi, everyone in our division has won a game within our division other than the Colts. It's a tough one, man. That's, that's a tough one to make. I know that you get thrilled and I know you take a shot at me because I talked up the AFC West. The AFC West is still pretty good. I'll go back. If you want to talk about something that's good, I mean, really good, that Kansas City game was. I take nothing away, even with the mistakes. Those three mistakes that I had mentioned. But even with those mistakes, the defense played very well against Patrick Mahomes. In fact, the defense played well the other night. You know, the one thing we talked about on Friday, all this, you know, the Chris Ballard mystique that has been described, and I had been as disappointed as anybody, for example, with Yannick Ngakwe's play or, you know, the offensive line or at times the defensive line. But I will also tell you this. You saw a chief reason why Stephon Gilmore was brought in here in the offseason. Because he made a difference in a winning moment for the Colts. That is exactly why you acquired him. That's why you brought him in. And I know Russell Wilson was throwing it basically to everybody but his guys. And I know that they could have ran it and salted away the game. They could have done like three or four different things. That would have brought them a win, but they didn't. They challenged him, and he went out and made a play. That's why you bring him in. That, if you want to talk about positives, is what you can talk about. 
He did exactly for the Colts why they brought him in, what they expected. Now it's time for others to do that too. And nothing is as large with that in mind as this offensive line. No matter what you have to do. If, you know, Ryan Kelly is, you know, is injured, we'll find out a little bit more, I'm sure, on Wednesday. Frank Reich didn't talk about injuries today. Normally that is a Wednesday and a Friday deal that we find out more informationally. But if Ryan Kelly's injured, honestly, Danny Pinter looks, at least in the short term, at least on Thursday, looked like a better option at center. I, by whatever means necessary, people always say that Chris Ballard has no problem with drafting a guy high and then playing somebody else that's played better. Now is the time with this offensive line to start making those decisions because some guys out there aren't playing to the level in which they get paid. Unfortunately for this team, I don't know how you're going to make some of these decisions and change at, at some point. The guys that are getting paid, the guys that you expected to play at that level are going to have to play at that level because they don't have enough depth to bring somebody in. I mean, we've seen enough for Matthew Pryor at left tackle, but heck, I mean, Matthew Pryor was better than Bernard Ryman, his first start at left tackle. That is an absolute disaster. And then you go Pryor to the right side, and he was an absolute disaster over there too. I don't know how you can play him anymore. At the same time, I don't know how you have any choice. That part is messed up, and they're going to have to figure that out because they're the cooks in that particular kitchen right there. They've got the spoiled batch. You've got to figure that one out. And the rest of this team cannot, as I've talked about, raise the bar, cannot get better, cannot be better consistently without that group playing at a much, much higher level. It just can't happen. It's my expectation. You can't lower the bar on that one because when you do, you get, as a result, what we have seen. All right, quick break, and we'll come back. Tony East at the top of the hour. We'll talk a little bit of Pacers, rest of the NBA for you as well. Stephen Holder of ESPN.com is going to join us coming up at the 5 o'clock hour. The Avon Buffalo Wild Wings on a blue Monday. I've got tickets to give away. We have an autographed helmet over there we shall give away. And we are also enjoying, if you can tell, via YouTube Live right now, inside the lounge. Get there, by the way. Ice cold Bud Light for you. It was a weird weekend yesterday. Somebody had asked me, I think it was J-Law. Somebody had said yesterday, hey, enjoy your day off. And um, I counted this up, Kyle. I had gone on the air. I'd been on the air for 61 consecutive days up until yesterday. I broke my streak at 61 yesterday. 61 consecutive days when it comes to, you know, doing this weekly show and then doing Saturday night and then once the Colts season started, you know, doing the Colts pregame huddle and stuff. 61 straight days of that. That ended yesterday. Hi, Nan. 61 straight days. Incredible run. You going to give me a medal? Do I get a trophy, Kyle? You guys got a trophy for me back there? I was going to say, what did you end up doing then? I had no idea what to do um, well, with all your time. I went, and played I went and played basketball yesterday morning, which was ill-advised, and re-injured my foot, and I really didn't do anything. I just went out there and popped, cracked, done. I can't walk now. So that was really stupid. Uh, and then I went out, and I uh, sawed down some limbs on some trees in my backyard. <laughs> and a couple of different times, I passed out. I, would, I sleep. Like, I can't sleep in the afternoon for nothing, right? For nothing. So... What I do is normally I'll fall asleep in the chair in the living room in like uh, five to ten minute increments. 
and then like wake back up and then fall back asleep and then wake back up. I can't, like if I worked the night shift, if I worked third shift, I don't know what I would do in the afternoon. I can't sleep in the afternoon for nothing. I mean, nothing. So watch some football. I watched the Bears, Vikings yesterday. Watched my fantasy team uh, go down. You know, ever since I talked junk about my fantasy team, I'm going to end up being 0-2. I'm going to get beat this week by Nick. Nick, Nick is so savvy and so smart that he had a couple of dudes that didn't play and they were injured and he didn't sub them out. So I'm going to get beat by a guy like that. How about that? Is that not the ultimate karma? I'm going to get beat. I'm going to get tagged with an L by a guy that forgot to take injured guys out of his lineup. That's like the ultimate, is it not? I think that Such serves you right. You were bragging, saying you had the greatest fantasy team of all time with your amazing yeah. receivers and Lamar Jackson, yeah. and now you're 0-2 the last two weeks. 0-2, and then my, the, the picks. You should watch. I, is there anybody out there? I'm like the specialist of bad beats. Like, I am right there with the genius call until the last minute. I'm right there with the genius call until the Vikings go for two and Justin Jefferson goes into the end zone. I mean, I'm, really, I'm a genius up until that point. I'm honestly, if I think if the games, if the games would end with like four, three minutes to go, I'd be incredible at making picks. But instead, man, the tail end, the king of bad beats right here. But the good part about it is we're live, we're local, late breaking with Bud Light. This is a blue Monday. We're with our friends at Buffalo Wild Wings and Avon with the great food. Monday night football is going to be a good one. The Raiders and the Chiefs, great place to watch it. US 36, we're in Avon with Buffalo Wild Wings. Back with your calls, Tony East, Stephen Holder, and more to come at 239-1070. Don't go anywhere. The Ride with JMV. This will be the high point of my day. It's all downhill from here. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Welcome back. We're in Avon today at Buffalo Wild Wings. We got stuff to give away. Look at, uh, he's just got on my JMV Takeover shirt. I love the JMV Takeover shirt. By the way, you can grab that. The shopindy.com to benefit teachers' treasures. They are out there, and they're actually in here right now. You can get it to benefit teachers' treasures, the JMV Takeover t-shirts, the shopindy.com, search bar, JMV Takeover, boom, there you go, the benefits to our friends at Teachers' Treasures. I did want to, to bring this up, and I, I know that uh, you know, we're talking about where I grew up, but um, they, they are uh, mourning, uh, the morning, the passing of a, a 16-year-old football multi-sport player, um, around Eastern Green. It happened on, I want to say, late Saturday night or Sunday morning, a one-car car accident off of State Road 45 and, and really probably three, four miles where my mom lives and where I grew up. And I, I know that we get a lot of people listening down there, a lot of people tune in, uh, want to hear some sports talk, and they do to the show. And uh, I just wanted to send out our, uh, our thoughts, our condolences, our love, Especially for me, I didn't know the family, but you don't have to know the family. Um, it, it hurts. I mean, it hurts. And it, it certainly situations like that are magnified when in the moment you have kids of a similar age. And that, um, that's a really tough set of circumstances they're going through down there right now. 
And I just wanted to send uh, all of our love, all of us collectively, down to where I grew up in eastern Greene County, in and around Owensburg, Little Cincinnati, Salisbury, you know, Hendricksville, that area. Because I know that everybody, everybody in and around eastern, and, and especially that's, that's one thing that, you know, it's very, very competitive, but closely knit, um, certainly in situations like this, and everybody in Greene County. Uh, because of what took place, that one car accident that uh, claimed the life of a uh, 16-year-old Eastern Greed multi-sport athlete, and I know that everybody's struggling with that right now. And I just want to send out our, uh, our thoughts, condolences, and we're thinking about you up here, everybody, down in GC. All right, Stephen Holder's going to join us of ESPN.com coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline right now, we got a lot of things to figure out. I thought we had a bit of a time and a moment here to talk some Pacers considering they're still in the preseason and, you know, really what to expect this year. One of the great guys to bring on to talk about not just the expectations but the analytics and more, the nuts and bolts of the roster. Tony East of Forbes and WTHR.com is with us right now. Tony, I mentioned this a little bit earlier last hour that you know the fan fest like yesterday when they brought that little kid out there and he ran around and scored a layup and everybody embraced him those are the types of moments that you're you're going to probably have to embrace with this pacer team this year because it's for the most part not going to be the wins people say well wait a minute when in terms of the culture i talk about how you know it's it's just the, the wins that matter they're in two different positions of expectations right now and I thought yesterday was awesome to watch and those are those moments I think more so than anything else that are going to be the embraceable moments for this team moving forward through this season would you agree yeah they're going to need a lot of moments like that because you know they, they even said it the, the difference in comparison from the Pacers to the Colts is the expectations so the wins are not as important for one team than they are from the other. Rick Carlisle called it a new era of Pacers basketball on media day. And I asked him straight up, what would be a successful season for you? And he said, you know, it'll be about the eye test. It won't be about the wins. It'll be about seeing those players improve every day and every week and every month and throughout the season. That's how the Pacers will assess their growth this year is, is in those moments. And those moments uh, will not necessarily lead to wins. So they're going to have to have a lot of those feel good stories. Like what we saw with Jackson at fan gym yesterday and, that fan jam was fun. It, they have a more athletic team. So there were a ton of dunks and a ton of moments like that. But uh, they're, they're going to need to find a lot of those this year. Yeah, no doubt. So what you saw, Tony East joins us in that first preseason game is they took advantage of a team that um, is trying to tank. And, you know, I know that they don't like to hear the word tank around here, but we all know the reason why these teams uh, are where they are, whether we're talking about the Pacers or where Charlotte is going to be, where Utah's positioned itself or San Antonio. These teams are looking for – uh, more than likely, a very high pick situation, again, for very good reasons, coming up in that June NBA draft. In this particular race, who do you think starts out the season in the best position? Uh, you got to think San Antonio is leading the way for the, the tank race. You know, their roster is a ton of young dudes and guys who are really unproven. They traded away DeJounte Murray this summer, and most sportsbooks say, hey, this team's going to be the worst, but really the, the race at the bottom this year. And, you know, we just saw Scoot Henderson versus Victor Wimbanyama last week to see why there's yeah. going to be this, this race to the bottom, unlike any season maybe we've ever seen before. After the Spurs, you know, most sports books say 
Orlando, Indiana, Utah, uh, Houston, they're all really close on how low they can get. And the way that the lottery works now for the NBA is the bottom three records all have the same odds at the top pick. So it's not necessarily about being just the worst. It's, it's really that bottom three that's the sweet spot to be because you're getting the same benefit as if you were the worst. So, yeah, it looks like the Spurs will probably be the worst and, and Greg, as Greg Popovich continues to develop that team. But the Pacers right in the mix for – you know, one of those next couple spots near the bottom of the standings. And this year more than ever, they do shift into that new era. And they've, they've talked about this being, you know, a longer two, three-year project to, to ascend back to being a contender in this league with, with Wimbanyama and Henderson floating out there. I mean, it, it makes all the sense in the world for them to maybe end up in one of those spots, even if it will be painful at times. I said this a little bit earlier, too, and Tony East joins us, that the Pacers collectively now are, you know, they're, I, I gave an um, example of Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, you know, you're always be selling. They, they are really, they're <laughs> selling it while not saying tank, but, you know, I had Rick Carlisle on on Tuesday, and you could tell everybody starts out incredibly jovial, but this is a longer-term thing where at some point the new fresh feeling are going to wear off, and that's really going to be the time to tell how many Pacer fans actually hang in for this season because you can have moments like you did against Charlotte or moments like you did against the Knicks, for example, two really good examples of how this may end up looking this season. Do you think this fan base, they say it right now, do you think they're in this thing for the longer I think that they can be for one year maybe, but the the thing is that I think a lot of people skip over in those things is they haven't made the playoffs since 2019, right? They they right. Uh, they played there in the in the bubble, excuse me, and they got swept that year even, right? So it's been a long time since they've had playoff success and then the the Dave Yorkerton season they they lose in the play in, the following year they don't make it. So, yeah, it was time to transition to the next era. That was the right decision, but they're not really starting from from zero, they're starting from two years removed already from that success, right? So some fans might already feel like it's been a while. Like we, when you talk about the Oklahoma City Thunder, you know they, they look they look like this team going through this long project with all these young players, and they have a million draft picks. Oklahoma City played a playoff game more recently than the Pacers, right? They played yeah. a, a game six in the bubble two years ago. So uh, I, that's where I think it's, it's the rubber's going to meet the road. Is I think this year specifically where. Matherin's this high pick that the franchise has never seen, and they're clearly transitioning. I think fans can stomach that and understand that, you know, w- what the reality is of the NBA and the Pacers situation. But I don't know how much beyond that they'll get the graces of this being a long project, even if it might make more sense for it to be something that takes two or three years rather than just one or two. Tony East of Forbes and WTHR.com writes regarding the NBA and the Pacers on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So, how close do you think the Pacers were in dealing miles to the Lakers? It, it seemed like with, with Shams had that report about a week and a half ago and, you know, all the conversation that was going on, there's really like one portion of this possible deal that the Pacers are looking for that they want that the Lakers are unwilling to part with, and that's the first round or another one. Do you think at some point this season that that ends up happening, especially if the Lakers – um, are what I guess everybody in Southern California expects them to be on a year in a year out basis. Yeah. The Lakers had more motivation to do that than the Pacers at this stage to me, just because, you know, they're a team that has LeBron and Anthony Davis. Sure. But they have all these expectations to, to succeed and they were horrible last year, right? They didn't even make the postseason, and they're running it back with a largely similar core. It seems like they were the team that was motivated to say, okay, we can get both 
Heald and Turner if we deal both of these picks. And the reason the Pacers are just a perfect match in a way that no other team in the league is, right? Only the Pacers and San Antonio have cap space to bring in Russell Westbrook without giving up a ton of salary, right? And only the Pacers have veterans that the, that the Lakers would want in a deal like that. The Spurs don't. So no team in the league has the Pacers combinations of useful veterans to trade and cap space to make a deal easy. And so there are very natural fits for this trade. I think that's why the Lakers were so so often brought up and why this kept being a thing that was discussed and why the Pacers would consider it. You know, they don't, they don't care about having Russell Westbrook suit up for them. They've got Halliburton. They've given the keys to him. It was all about those unprotected first-round picks, and I think that it never really got to the point where they were both offered. I think if they were both offered, we might be talking differently about if Heald and Turner were, were on the Pacers this year. I don't know what any ultimate offers were, but it seems like both picks unprotected was never actually offered, and that's why you know, we are where we are because that Pacers never even had to have that internal discussion of what do we do if that offer is made, should we accept it? Because I don't think it actually ever got offered from the Lakers to the Pacers. All right, so we think about that. That's still going to be floating around out there. Do you think that this offense, you think with Miles and his role, especially leading up to the trade deadline, might we see different types of deals visited uh, with this new particular role, I, I guess I'd first ask what you expect from him for the first time being that, that standalone big, and then can you know that help as far as what the Pacers may get in return coming up at the trade deadline? Because I think we all understand that he's not going to be here longer term, and it's all about creating that level of value here up until February. Right, that's sort of the risk and reward the Pacers take in carrying him into the season. If they trade him to the Lakers, sure, they might get something good, but then they can't trade him somewhere else. And so that's where this first part of the season is uh, kind of crucial in that way. In that, you know, he's playing with the best passer in Tyrese Halliburton he's ever had. And so he'll have a lot of opportunities, like you mentioned, as that lone center to set some screens and pop into space and, and make decisions. And in the preseason so far, there's been a lot of, I would say, robotic moments from him where he kind of just swings it around or goes right into a screen without doing anything as creative. And we've seen Miles Turner be more creative than that. But either way, I think the Pacers will have to try to maximize him at times until the February trade deadline comes, even if it does at times hinder the development of some young guys because that could help maximize the return they could get for him. Because, yes, it's easy to say now, well, if they don't trade him to the Lakers, maybe they get a better deal down the line. But that, that time will run out eventually. They only have a few more months until the trade deadline this season in February. So I do think they'll have to figure out how to maximize them. I think it's going to be a lot of screen and pop or screen and roll situations with a guy like Hal Burton who can get him the ball in advantageous situations, right? We saw Turner have 12 points in the first half against Charlotte, didn't even play in the second half, so could have had a 20-plus point game pretty easily that night. Nine rebounds against uh, against the Knicks last Friday. like He's already showing what, how he can impact the stat sheet. It's going to be about putting it all together and partnering up with other players and showing what he can do as the lone center. They'll really have other teams evaluating what he can bring to them and if the Pacers can get more in a trade uh, from that. So Tony East joining us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. When you uh, view Goga, what do you think his standing is, his position is right now with this team? certainly seems like he's the third center. Heck, when they played Charlotte last Wednesday, James Johnson was the third center. Yeah. The veteran, the 35-year-old, played, and Goga didn't even play in that game. And then last last Friday in New York, Goga did play over James Johnson. I mean, his standing is certainly a, a deep reserve big heading into his fourth season. And 
you know, it seems like they've never given him the, the opportunity to be in the rotation. But at the same time, there hasn't been a point in his career where you could argue he necessarily deserved a spot in the rotation, right? He was always behind both Turner and Sabonis. And now Isaiah Jackson's in the fold. And Isaiah Jackson is the exact type of player the Pacers have talked about for the last two years with that athleticism and the defense and the flexibility he offers when he's out there. So there is a role for for Batadze right now. It's going to be Turner and Jackson in the five rotation. And right now it's Jalen Smith and Terry Taylor at the four spots. And, you know, Goga, if there's an injury, maybe he can get in there and, and finally show that he's grown and improved. But right now, he, for the fourth year in a row, he's going to be on the outside looking in, it looks like. Yeah, that's that's the way that it looks as well. I, I You talk about, you know, this rotation and what you're going to see. Backcourt-wise, what's your viewpoint of what this team has as starters and then rotationally fit in this team's backcourt, Tony? Yeah, they, they're going for height and creation at the point guard spots. You know, that's what something Rick Carlisle says he likes about the Tyrese Halliburton and Drew Nembard guys and TJ McConnell, obviously, much shorter. But it seems like out of that point guard spot, they're going to be they're hunting for passing and creation in a way that is really smart. And they, you know, they got six assists from each Halliburton and McConnell last Wednesday. Nembard's had three assists in both of their preseason games. So it seems like they want those guys kind of running the show, being the engineer, and Halliburton specifically to be a scorer. And uh, the, the, the dynamic play from the two spot and even the three spot to an extent because they don't have wings has been interesting. You know, Buddy Heald's been a really effective shooter, as has Chris Duarte uh, so far, whereas, you know, Aaron Neesmith and, uh, and um, excuse me, Buddy Heald have, have uh, shown some off the dribble stuff as well. So th- they've gotten some varying play from that spot. But that's the rotation they've gone with so far. Unfortunately, Aaron Neesmith already dealing with uh, plantar fascia issue in his foot, so he he's going to miss some time there, and they'll have to figure out who to go with at that two-three hybrid spot. But they've been getting a lot of perimeter solid play from those guys. You know, that's a really offensive-minded group. Chris Duarte is an all right defender. Nismith is an all right defender. But that's a really uh, five five offensive-minded guys who give give you a ton of points. Right? They scored one twenty-two in Charlotte, one fourteen in New York, and can light it up from deep and create and, and really put pressure on the rim. But on the defensive end, that's where that group has struggled. Tyrese Halliburton couldn't keep Jalen Brunson in front of him in New York. R.J. Barrett was killing him. So it's, it's a really dynamic group that can fill up, fill, up the, fill up the scoreboard but can't really stop anybody at this time, and they're going to have to figure out how to mesh those things together. Yeah, so Tony East with us. Jalen Smith, we saw him raise the bar when he was brought in. No doubt about that. Is, is he going to continue to do that? Or what's your expectation for his growth within this team? Yeah, that's the burning question for him, right? And it was rare to see that happen like that, where a guy gets a bigger role with a new team and just completely turns it around, right? Sometimes that can be overwhelming for guys. And it was from everywhere, right? He looked more mobile. His defense looked surprising. He was doing well on the glass. And the standout skill was the three-point shot, right? It ended up at about 37 38% with the Pacers last year. But the reason for yeah. concern, the reason people were really interested in how he could perform this year is, you know, in his first 15 or so games with the Pacers last year, was on fire from three, 45, 46% almost. And then his next group of games, you know, next 15 or so games, that was down to about 30%, right? So a lot of the question is, who, who is Jalen Smith? Where is his development? Is he actually a really reliable shooter? Is he that mobile all the time? Can he beat this, uh, this offensive force that can play the four and the five? And Rick Carlisle seems to think he can play both positions because they're starting with the four this year. He's on the perimeter a little more. And so they're kind of betting on him having growth in, in every area of the game as that shooter, as a more mobile big that can kind of be a four or five, put the ball on the floor a few times and make some plays. He's had some nice 
moments on the interior, even with Miles. They've had some nice passes to each other from the elbow to the block, a little more old school, honestly, uh, with that spacing in a way that's been successful. And they're saying, hey, Jalen Smith, you know, your nickname is Six, and you're skinnier, and you've got these glasses. Go guard Julius Randle, who's a bowling ball on the court, right? That's uh, that's going to be a tough matchup for him. I think he struggled with that a little bit last Friday. He'll get another chance at Randle when the Knicks are in town this Wednesday. So I think that that's where his big development's going to be is. You know, we, we've seen the mobility. We've seen that he can kind of space out a little bit on both ends. Can he kind of be more burlesque? Can he hang with these stronger forwards who are going to run through the Pacers and have when they have an Sabonis out there in recent seasons? That's where I think they're hoping he can develop and be more than just kind of a stretch five. If he can be a dynamic player who can defend and put the ball on the floor, that's the growth I think they're hoping to see from him and why they're putting him at the floor and putting him in these difficult matchups because Rick Carlisle seems to think he could be that guy, but he's going to have to show it this year because last year was such a small sample of games. You know, Rick was on the show with me last week, and he seems down with his approach. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know how you felt. I was somewhat surprised that he was down with this particular approach. But, I mean, listen, at least as of last Tuesday, he sold me. Are you surprised that, that he's cool with the direction this thing is going, being a part of a rebuild? Uh, you know, yes and no. So the uh, the things Rick Carlisle likes in te- in coaching is like the teaching aspect of it. And I so happen to think that he's a little bit better at the teaching aspect of it when it comes to teaching like sets and, and, and changing schemes within your lineups and, and things like that that are really important on successful teams, right? He was yeah. very good at coaching the Mavs when they were really good. Now that what I also think is as a teacher, you also have to teach individual skills and little things and details and angles that make players successful and can, can grow into better players. And so I think he has to do that part a lot more this year, which is still something he really enjoys and is good at and why I think he's going to have fun coaching this team, but is also different than what Rick Carlisle is known to be good at, which is being flexible with, and creative with really good teams and making them have the right lineups and the right uh, you know, scheme and situational awareness for whatever opponent they're playing. Right? He's so super good at that. That's how he got Dallas to beat Miami in the playoffs. That's how he got you know, a, a Dirk Nowitzki team to be successful and then immediately switching to a Luka Doncic team to being successful, right? He's very good at that, and that is not something he'll have to do this year, right? So it's totally different. It's totally outside of what Rick Carlisle is known to be really good at, but I still think it's something he really enjoys and can get on board yeah. with. I think he likes teaching these younger guys, setting them up for success in their career and growing them into better players so that he can do the things he's really good at when this team grows into the next version of the good Pacers. Do you think this team wins more than 25 this season? <laughs> um, I, I've got them at 26 or 27 when I ran through the yeah. schedule and, and pegged it out. So a little bit more, you know, it, they, they should be about the same level of team as last year is what I think maybe a tiny bit worse, but at the same time, I think they'll have a little bit more luck in close games where they were just catastrophically bad last year, right? Like four and 25 and in close games or something like that. I can't remember what it was, but something just, grotesquely bad that even if they just get a little lucky this year, if it's Chris Duarte gets called for a foul on the buzzer beaters or the ref doesn't, you know, mess them up in a couple situations, I think they can get that to six or seven close wins. Even if that's still terrible, uh, it's better than last year. And I think that will make them incrementally a tiny bit better in the win column from last year, even if they're about the same level of team, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Final thing too, regarding their uh, defense in the backcourt, I don't expect it to be a lot better, (laughs) but I will say this. I think that in the past we have seen guys who have just capped out, sealing doubt, 
at being able to do anything in the backcourt defensively, at least you may end up finding, cultivating somebody that's capable of doing it. I don't know when that might be, but you kind of knew what it was going to be in that capacity in the past. But it's something that absolutely has to get monumentally better that has dogged this team for a while, especially when you consider dealing Miles Turner in February. This, this is something that has to drastically, to me, get better. You agree? 100%. You know, for all, for all the praise and love Tyrese Halliburton's got this summer, most, most of it deserved, he is a pretty atrocious perimeter defender. Buddy healed for, again, same thing. He played very well offensively for this team and a breath of fresh air for the franchise since he plays in every game. He also really struggles on defense. And so even guys like Ben Matherin and Aaron Neesmith, who can be their solid perimeter defenders, even they're improving on that end, right? They're both younger than 24, right? There's a lot for them to grow into. Chris Duarte is only in his second year. So they, they have guys and names who you could say, you know, maybe this is a guy who can keep a guard in front of him and not just be a turnstile or a matador or whatever synonym for poor defender on the perimeter you want to use. Sure. I think they have the names in the building who can be that someday. But right now, I think they project to be pretty terrible in that skill again, right? It doesn't just happen overnight where you become better on that end. And, yeah, there is something to defense that's just buying in and locking in. And you saw that in Charlotte. They were all on a string, and they kept LaMelo ball and, and some of those ball handlers in Charlotte in front all night. And then two nights later, it was just completely woeful and miserable. And I think that's where young players struggle, with that consistency, with that buy-in, and making sure it's a team defense concept where once one guy gets beat, the rest of their perimeter defense just falls apart. And so as they have all these guys who can maybe lock in individually, they're not very good team defenders. And that's where I think this group has to grow as a unit, keeping guys in front, sliding on a string and all that kind of stuff. And they haven't shown they can do that yet. They have other opportunities to grow. And I think they'll get get better at it, especially Matherin and Neesmith. But right now they really struggle with that. And I think that's going to be a a big issue for this team this year. Yeah. um... You think that was was that a Dan Burke thing, or was that just a personnel thing? Oh yeah, no, yeah. Dan Burke was fantastic. At it. I mean, I had some players who who came here and would talk to me, and they would say like, you know, you, you think you know defense, and you hear the same sort of general stuff from every coach you have. Like Dan Burke was teaching these guys some angles or some positioning right. things that they'd never heard of about like where to stand or how to stand or where to face and stuff like that. That just maybe wasn't like mind blowing. Was just like, oh wow, okay, you know, that, that really helped them and changed them. Like Brian Bowen was a rookie. Uh, who went from Australia, he played professionally before coming here. Like, it, it was, like, eye-opening, stunning to him when he got to the Pacers, like the way he was being told to defend and the angles to defend and things like that, and it made him better, right? He, he said it was really helpful for him. So, yeah, Dan Burke, and especially being combined with a guy like Dan McMillan, who's so focused on the details, really helped in the past with that kind of stuff. All right, Tony East, glad to have him back here, getting ready to start a Pacer season where the wins – uh, will be something that probably will be few and far between. You just hope to be entertained for a while. And I know the Pacers hope that that the fan base can remain engaged. Um, what, what do you think about what they're trying to do as well with the the whole Bally Sports streaming situation that was such a disaster last year? Right. It's going to be wins and lessons this year, JMV, not wins and losses. That's how the Pacers will grow. <laughs> Bally Sports, yeah, the service is there, which is which is good, I guess, for cord cutters. Yeah. Right? Valley Sports Plus is now there. It's an option if you need it. The, the, the basic analogy I've kind of boiled it down to is like a crappy option is better than no option, sure, but that still might be a crappy option. You know, I, I get why fans are wincing at $20 a month for yeah. another streaming app that they have to add, add and manage, especially when League Pass 
for the entire NBA is less than $20 a month for the, for the season. But you can't watch the Pacers if you live locally on League Pass. They're the only team that will be blacked out in your market. So I suppose an option is better than not having an option. And the Valley guys, the Valley announcing crew does a wonderful job. They were uh, doing their in-studio thing today. Got to see Jeremiah Johnson and Chris Canary in their suit. So I know they're getting prepped up for the season. But, uh, you know, for, for the $20 a month, the, the hope is that there will be additional content or things beyond the games that make it worth it for the consumer because that number does seem a little high for just Pacers basketball. Yeah, I mean, honestly, $20 a month for me means it better have consistent nudity. You know what I mean, Tony? So, <laughs> if not, then I'll probably back away. I know what you mean. It's It can be a, a tough sell, especially with a team that outlook win-loss-wise is not great. Hey, but we're, we're glad to have you back. Thanks for hopping on here today, and uh, we'll do it again very soon, Tony. Thank you. You got it. Thanks for having me, JMV. Tony East of Forbes, Tony East of WTHR.com. Tony East covers the NBA and the Pacers. Yeah, see, back in the day, I come from the days of satellite service, right? Back in the early days of satellite, that is the big satellite dish. The big black metal mesh satellite dish. Let me tell you this. You guys think you have greatness right now in being able to watch anything. I know everybody loves it because you're watching on your smartphone and all that crap. I'm sorry. There's still nothing better than that time. That's when TV was the Wild West. You got to watch anything and everything that you wanted. With the exception, you had all these different satellites you had to search to find them. And there was not a TV guide out there that says, hey, by the way, American Triple Ecstasy is on S-118. There was no TV guy that told you that. The, the irony to me regarding that is because I used to have to sneak to watch that, right? And you really had to do that with a sound down because back in the day, if you had a stereo television, that was to your detriment. But the channel next door was some old gray-haired, gray-bearded dude preaching 24 hours a day. He would preach and smoke cigarettes. He would preach and smoke a cigar. I forget what his name was, but oftentimes I found myself, you know, kind of going back to that because they were so close in proximity to make sure you wouldn't get busted. I can't remember what the guy's name was, but he was, it was on, obviously I know it was taped, but he was basically on all the time. And he kind of looked like this stuff was in the middle of the night. He was very disheveled looking. Always smoking and then always preaching. I think that was on S116, and American Triple Ecstasy's greatness was on S118. And correct me if I'm wrong, Jeremiah, I believe it went from 6 o'clock in the evening until 6 o'clock in the morning. They did not broadcast during the mornings or the afternoons. Just to make sure some degenerate like me would find it in the middle of the morning or the afternoon and be watching it all day. True story. Quick break, and we'll come back. So seriously, that was that was that was still the wild west of TV right there. If you went out and purchased one of those, you got everything. And by the way, the best part about it, you watch live sports feeds, and that's what you got. It was the satellite carrier that had, for example, I used to watch a lot of jazz games back then, and Hot Rod Hundley and Ron Boone were their broadcasters. And when they went to a break, Hot Rod Hunley and Ron Boone would continue their conversation in a very four-letter way. (laughs) And you got to hear it all. It was awesome. I mean, when Hot Rod Hunley ripped on a production assistant, 
for not having the right video. And, it, I mean, it was great stuff. The Wild West was back in the day right there with the satellite dishes. All right, quick break, and we'll come back. We're on a Blue Monday, Buffalo Wild Wings. We are in Avon off of US 36. I've got an autograph, Colts helmet to give away, a number of autographs on that. I've got tickets to give away as well. We've got great food. Monday night features the Raiders and the Chiefs. And Joe Childers is here, speaking of greatness. Your 14, soon to be, 15 Central Indiana CarX locations to serve you. Joe Childers is here, the proud sponsor of the high school football game of the week. Your sectional pairings were yesterday. We'll dive into some of those with Greg Rakestraw coming up on tomorrow's show for high school football. But we'll come back with you at 239-1070. Email the address is jmv at 1075thefan.com. Inside the lounge via YouTube Live, jump on board. I would love to talk with you guys inside the lounge or on the phone. The app is up and working. That's fantastic. The stream, HD Radio at 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. The Ride with JMV. This situation absolutely requires a really futile and stupid gesture be done on somebody's part. We're just the guys to do it. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Welcome to Avon Buffalo Wild Wings, a blue Monday with our friends from Bud Light as well. Great food. We've got tickets to give away, too. We've got an autographed Colts helmet, multi-autographs on that helmet. We'll give away a little bit later on. We're just now looking for you here off of US 36 at Avon. Nice to be out here in Hendricks County. Love to see you here. Monday Night Football, of course. You've got a matchup in the AFC West between the Raiders and the Chiefs. You know, we were talking about Carson Wentz yesterday and that interception on the final play. And why I, I held back with the jokes. I Listen, I had jokes just ready to rock. Ready to go, but I held back. Not a lot of people did, and that's okay. Not a lot of people held back. A lot of people went with it. But Ron Rivera, the head coach of the Commanders, was asked today, what's the difference between, you know, where they are compared to the Eagles, to the Cowboys, and to the Giants, and the rest of the NFC East? And his answer was quarterback. That's all that he said was quarterback. It's Ron Rivera's answer to that regarding Carson Wentz. And the whole interesting aspect of yesterday is Carson Wentz had a chance to help out his own team and was picked off on that final offensive play of the commanders, thus ending that opportunity of beating the Titans. And as of right now, had the Titans lost, the Colts would be a standalone in first place, which is absolutely amazing considering how they looked even in a win on Thursday. Absolutely amazing, which leads me to this. JMV at 107.5thefan.com. JMV, from what we have seen so far about this Colts team, we can make the projection that they are just not good. Ryan is washed up, and the offensive line is off kilter and out of place. This uh, this sustainability to play teams who have a bad day, like Kansas City, or get fortunate in other areas will not last. Granted, Denver is not a good team, and neither is Houston, but the Colts needed an OT win and their other resulted in a tie. Jags shut them out last time. This Sunday, the Jags should win and bump the Colts down in the conference. This game is so large. That's the one thing Fetty brought up a little bit earlier. Hey, all you've ever done is talk about the greatness of the AFC West, and look at it. 
two wins against the AFC West for the Colts. The problem is you're 0-2-1 against your own division, and let's just face it, you can't be 0-2-1 against your own division. Shout-out to Joe Childers. I don't know if Joe is leaving right there, but he might be going 15 Central Indiana CarX locations and a proud sponsor of the high school football game of the week every Friday night right here on 107.5 and 93.5 The Fan. That's a problem. That is the at some point the, the Colts to get to where they want to go have to be what they expect to be and they're far from it right now. It's okay. It's okay to celebrate, embrace a win. I'm not telling you not to, but in the grand scheme of things, and I mean not just in the the big picture of what we're talking about right now or in a month from now, but just the grand scheme. If this offensive line continues to be at the level in which it has been play wise. You're you're in trouble not just for the now but in the near future because of how much money you've sunk in and where this offensive line is monetarily and how you built this team with expectations of that being a dominant offensive line it has been far from that but again you embrace Thursday night I'm not telling you not to but at the same time all you end up doing is if it seems like you just lower the bar well you look where they are right now. Hey, well, look at Jacksonville yesterday. Look where they are right now. Hey, Carson Wentz almost beat Tennessee. And I got news for you regarding the Titans. In a division that's not any good, they're the difference because they're tougher. They're the difference because they can win in those tough, grinded-out, pivotal type of games. And the Colts, the Jaguars, and uh, Houston – they have not proven that they're capable of doing that. Like, I don't think Tennessee's very good at all. But they're good at winning when you think they're not very good. Or they're good at winning when they're playing in a tough situation at the end of a game. And they're good at winning against others in their division. At least past history will show you that. They may not be the team of the one C we saw a year ago or the team that went to the AFC title game a couple of years ago. But until you knock them off, they'll grind you down and then end up beating you down the stretch. They may execute for a play or two, and that may be enough. Quick break, and we'll come back. Your calls and more, and Stephen Holder of ESPN coming up at the top of the hour. Buffalo Wild Wings on a blue Monday. We're in Avon off of US 36. One of the best Buffalo Wild Wings locations in the state of Indiana is right here with Bud Light. We got stuff to give away. I'll tell you about that. Stephen Holder, top of the hour. Your calls and more. And inside the lounge via YouTube Live, a spirited conversation. But I started regarding S118, which is always good, inside the lounge via YouTube Live. 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. Back with you next. The Ride with JMV. 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Hey, welcome back. We're in Avon today. Glorious Hendricks County at Buffalo Wild Wings. Uh, Buffalo Wild Wings brings us on a Blue Monday. We got tickets to give away. Uh, We also got an autographed helmet to give away coming up a little bit later on. So join us here for great food here at Buffalo Wild Wings, a great spot and a great place to watch Monday night football. In the AFC West, you've got the Raiders and the Chiefs coming up later on tonight. We got that and more inside the lounge via YouTube Live where the question has been asked, does Danny Pinter, we'll find out, I'm sure, sure about the, um, the health 
later on this week of Ryan Kelly, but should he start at center right now regardless? You guys can answer that. We'll play off of what you're saying inside the lounge via YouTube Live. All the other aspects in which you can tune in to this show again at Buffalo Wild Wings live in Avon today. Meantime, on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, let's welcome back to the show from ESPN.com. Stephen Holder, it, it seemed like that they threw a bunch of names in the hat and just kind of came out with a starting lineup on that offensive line on Thursday night in a short week against Denver. Um, and obviously, you can look at it as getting even worse. But somebody had brought up inside our lounge via YouTube Live if a change needs to be made at center, even beyond the fact that Ryan Kelly got dinged up in that game. Is that a change? With a lack of injury in mind, Stephen, you think that Chris Ballard and Frank Reich would change, would would go with at this point in the season? Well, I'll start with like a, an easier subject, and and I'll just take on the uh, the change in and of itself. They made a okay. good decision because they had to do something, right? They they couldn't just they couldn't just keep the status quo. So I applaud them on the one hand for doing something. It wasn't the right the combination granted, but uh, they, it, it, it suggests that they understand the urgency. So I'm, I'm happy to see that now they got to keep working on it and figure it out. As for Ryan Kelly, that's a tough one. And this is where these matters get really delicate. So here you have a, have a guy on a 50, $60 million contract. Uh, he's, he's a veteran. I, I don't know. It's, it's probably, a long shot, I would think, that they would make that change. I, I do think that Ryan Kelly has really struggled. There's no doubt about it. Now, what I can't necessarily comment on, because he got hurt and we, we don't have enough to go on, what, what I wonder is, is whether those struggles were a product of, of maybe the right guard being a weak link in previous games. I don't know. I'm, I'm saying it's possible. And there's clearly some sort of disconnect between him and Matt Ryan. And I don't know, I don't know what it is. I don't know enough about, about the center and quarterback relationship and, and the, the communication because I've never done it. So I'm not going to comment necessarily on the specifics of what's wrong, but there's clearly a disconnect there. And they, they both have admitted to that. So, you know, if they got the, the communication squared away and they find – some sort of consistency at right tackle, excuse me, right guard, then maybe Ryan Kelly can stabilize. Uh, if those two things don't happen, I don't know what we're dealing with, and, and I don't know if it's Ryan Kelly or, or if it's the situation. Is, was it clear to you the other night, and I, I know that he came out via injury, but it was, was it clear to you when, when Pinter was in there? I mean, even before Kelly got injured, and it's going back to last week and, and really weeks prior, do you think that was, there was a clear separation between how the team performed along that line when he was snapping the ball and a part of the, the center position than there was prior to? Was there any clarity for you with that? Um, I, I'd have to watch the tape a little closer at, at center in particular, so I don't want to – I, I will say this, and, and this may be why it feels this way. The offensive line did settle in later in the game. That did happen. There's no question about it. I was – I actually saw some really productive run blocking late in the game. I mean, did you guys see that? That was unbelievable. Yeah. I was like, wait a it minute, was what's new. happening here? <laughs> well, and, I, I also I saw, saw some short passes. Like, they didn't – on pass plays, you know, you didn't let, mm -hmm. you know, Matt Ryan sit back there for a second and get, 
you know, gobbled up. You had some short pass patterns and something that I was screaming about at halftime. I wish that Frank Reich would implement, and I guess he waited until maybe overtime to do it, I guess. That was a good time. Yeah, listen, I'm not about to promise anybody that the Colts are going to suddenly be a juggernaut because of, like, 10 minutes of football, okay? But <laughs> but I'm just telling you, I saw some of the brightest moments on offense I have seen the entire season in that fourth quarter and overtime. I, and Matt Ryan, I know I'm getting off the subject here, but this guy, he drives me crazy, okay? <laughs> because <laughs> you see, you've seen it. We've all seen it, right? The fumbles, why, you know, the interceptions. Why did he go there instead of there? Right? We've seen it. And, and granted, he's under just complete, constant duress by the offensive line. But he plays so frustrating for so many, uh, for so many moments. And in the fourth quarter, man, I don't know what it is. This guy really is legitimately kind of clutch. And I know it sounds stupid. I, I almost feel stupid saying it, right? But all I'm saying is, like, if they can stabilize their offense, this team is not terrible. They actually have a chance to be good. But I don't, I don't trust them to stabilize the offense, you know, for the remaining games. I just haven't seen enough consistency to sit here and tell you they can do it. But there's some talent, and they have some moments, but they're not enough. And so it's going to be up to them. Stephen Holder, the uh, ESPN.com is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. No, you're right about that, and, and I have said this. Uh, this offensive line's broken. It is broken, and this yeah. offense is not going to go anywhere without it. And not only does it have to raise its level of play, it has to raise it substantially here. And I don't know how you do that, regardless of where you place Matthew Pryor at this point. Would you agree? It's a problem. I mean, Pryor is, is definitely a huge issue right now. I, I wonder if you just honestly go back to Braden Smith at right tackle. Braden Smith has struggled, and I'm not going to pretend that he hasn't yeah. played the worst football I've ever seen him play. That is without a doubt true. However, he wasn't as bad as Matt Pryor at, at left, excuse me, at right tackle. I believe Pryor gave up, uh, I get the number, I think it was nine pressures i think uh which is just insane <laughs> in one game i mean how many times did matt ryan throw the ball right i mean well nine of those attempts none of those dropbacks prior gave up a pressure on matt ryan that's incredible incredibly bad so you got to get him out of there he cannot play on the edge right now he's killing you now maybe maybe prior is an option at right guard i think his best football in his career he has played at that guard so that might be something to consider. And obviously this will depend largely on what's going on with Kelly and what they do with Pinter and all that. But, uh, but I, I do think that's an option and we'll have to see, we'll have to see what they do there. I, I guess Will Fries uh, is an option. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see what they do there at, at right guard. But I think you can't watch that tape and see how Pinter, excuse me, see how, uh, how prior played and, and just, throw him back out there on the edge. I mean, just no, no, especially by the way, especially against Jacksonville because these guys got speed on both sides coming up this weekend and you just can't have that. All right. By the way, too, I do want to mention this because I know Chris Ballard got a lot of giggles out of my consistent suggestion uh, of moving Quentin Nelson to left tackle. But I think we both can conclude on this. Nothing is more laughable than believing that Matthew Pryor is any sort of left tackle, right? <laughs> Listen, so, 
I, 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 listen, you, we talked about this repeatedly all off season. And my, my take on it was, look, I don't know if the guy can play left tackle. I'm willing to, I'm willing to see how it goes, but I have nothing to go on. Right. I was like everybody else. I'm, I'm, I'm an open-minded person, right? I'll give you the benefit of the doubt until you prove that you don't deserve it. Well, that lasted like five minutes. There's no question about it. Now, let me say this. Bernard Raymond, now that game on paper will go down as a game where he had four penalties, and that's going to look off, absolutely awful on paper. Okay? I get it. But let me tell you something. I actually think there's something there. Now, his, his holds, there were a couple that were questionable, I thought. But once he settled in, and I thought Matt Ryan made a good point, by the way. Matt Ryan said, it's, it's the kid's first start. He's on the road at mile high. It's loud as hell. I mean, just the crazy environment to have to go into. And he kind of, once he settled in, I thought he was okay. I thought he was fine. And he's coming off an injury, by the way. He's hadn't practiced that much. He had no practice last week because he only had two freaking days. So if you get this kid some time on task and get him out there and really let him develop some continuity there could be something there. Now, it's going to be hard because it's on-the-job training, and that's going to come with all the requisite mistakes. But in terms of the upside, he's got the upside. and They're not moving Quentin Nelson. It's pretty clear at this point, right? Can we agree? Uh, whether they should or shouldn't is, is not the issue. They're, they're not going to do it. It doesn't appear that that's in the plans. So Ryman, though, he is the guy I think that they should stick with, and I think he's got some potential there. I, I like the long-term potential of Ryman. Where, where is Dennis Kelly in all this? Uh, he's out there. That's, that's another one. I mean, I, I think they haven't had enough time really to, to kind of work him in because he, you know, kind of been coming along slowly, but I, I think they, they're at that point. Now they have this 10 day layoff. Everything should be on the table. And as far as I know, uh, he is physically able to go. So, I think everything has to be on the table and, and I know that they are considering all their options. I mean, look, Frank Reich might get up there and, and give us all these platitudes and, and sound, you know, really annoying most of the time. Right. I get it. That being said, he's no idiot. He knows. Okay. He knows what he's dealing with and he knows his tail is on the line. So you, you can't worry about sparing feelings or, or upheaval and, and, you know, worried about making rash moves or any of that. You can't worry about it. And I, and I honestly think that the moves they made last week, while they were not the right moves on the offensive line, uh, it was certainly a, a shot, right? It, it showed you that they understand it's a desperate situation. Because, I mean, th- when have they ever done anything like that under Frank Reich? Never. But he is very, very slow to make personnel changes. They made three of them. Right. So it, it tells you yeah. right there that uh, they understand the 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 importance of this and the desperation that they're in. Why? Why did they decide to go with um, Braden Smith at right guard and Pryor at right tackle? Why not Pryor at right guard and just stay with Braden Smith at right tackle? What do you, do you know yeah. what went and what was involved in that decision? It's a good question. I, I would have, if you would have told me there were going to be changes, I would have predicted right. that Pryor was more likely to play guard than tackle. But I, I, I can only imagine that Pryor 
has practiced almost exclusively at well has practiced definitely exclusively at tackle, you know, throughout this off season. And I guess they didn't want to, you know, overwhelm him mentally by putting him at a completely different position. Now, Braden Smith, the same could apply, right? I mean, he's, he's been a tackle since he stepped on the field for the most part. Uh, once he became a starter back in 2018, but I guess just, they just maybe trust him a little more. Um, I, I'm not really sure. I, and, and it may also suggest that that right guard, they saw it as a bigger problem. I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. I, I didn't get the logic behind it. And I, I wish I could, I wish I could offer more insight on that, but it, it was definitely a surprise to me. I'll say that. Yeah. It's just, uh, I don't know where they came up with that conclusion. <laughs> That's really, yeah, it's, it, was, it is. It's, it's really weird. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, and by the way, you know, I, I kind of mentioned that in jest regarding, you know, my consistent conversation about moving Nelson. It was more because of what is supposed to be his quality of play or his, his threshold, his ceiling, if you will, of level of play combined with what he's getting paid. But, listen, he's not been any good either, and especially was not any good on Thursday night. What's the issue there? Listen, man, I I can't disagree with that whatsoever, man. I have never seen Quentin Nelson play as poorly as he's played this season. Now, he was not good last year by his standards, okay? And Quentin will tell you that. But I also understand why, right? Because last year he was beat up. He had three different surgeries throughout the offseason and into the preseason, right? We know about the broken foot and all that. So I, I actually could stomach the way he played last year. And it was still better than this, right? Yeah. This is just unexplainable. I mean, I don't know him to be injured. If he is, he certainly hasn't talked about it. Uh, I, I don't know of any significant health issue with, with Quentin Nelson. I have to imagine this, the entire line is just discombobulated right now. I do think that we, we probably underestimate the impact of, of dysfunction around you. Okay, and I'll tell you, like, Matt Ryan's a good example of it. Like, Matt Ryan has lost his damn mind right now. This guy can't even hold on to the football. <laughs> He's never done this before, and it, there's no excuse for it. But I also think it's a product of the dysfunction going on up front. Like, he's just – he's not reacting well to this absolute disaster that's going on with this offensive line, and he's just been incapable of handling it, which is not an excuse, but it's it, at least an explanation, Right. And so I think that that applies on some level to Quentin Nelson. I mean, unless Quentin Nelson has, has just completely lost interest in playing football, and I don't believe that to be the case, then there has to be some explanation for, for why his performance has, has dropped at this level and so precipitously. I, I really do attribute it to just the, the lack of continuity and just the lack of consistent performance around him. I think he's been affected yeah. by it. To Stephen Holder of ESPN.com on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Uh, listen, and people are going to say, well, you're just Mr. Pessimistic, and, and I'm not. But I will tell you this. My whole thought on this offensive line and the legend of this offensive line, I think in large part, Stephen, it was built two years ago once they really got going with the quick rhythm, quick release, and the short patterns of Phillip Rivers. And we all thought this offensive line was good and on the way to being dominant. And I think that was fool's gold compared to what we saw from this group a year ago and certainly level or lack thereof of what we're seeing from this group right now. I think it was all brought on by the style of play that they adapted to 
regarding Phillip Rivers. And I guess I would have to ask you this to go along with it. You saw them kind of shorten up pass plays um, and routes, especially late in that game, especially into overtime and got, got some passes going. What, why have they not been more adaptable knowing that Matt Ryan doesn't have a second to throw the ball and then running down the field and hoping you get separation and he can throw it down there? Why has that not so far been any sort of offensive option? Well, um, two things. Number one, all right, I'm just going to circle back real quick on the, on yeah. the offensive line uh, comment you made. So, all right, I'm not with you on that. I'm going to tell you why real quick. And this is fine. Like, we're just, we're just, we're just two guys yeah. talking. Let's I'll cool. tell you what it is. So, I think the, the zenith, the absolute zenith of this, this iteration of the offensive line, and I'm talking about Quentin Nelson, Ryan Kelly, Braden Smith. The other guys have changed, but those three guys have been consistent, right? The, the, the zenith of this iteration was actually 2019 with Jacoby Brissett. That is some of the most outstanding offensive line play I've ever seen, period. They were fantastic. And think about, the, I mean, the game in Kansas City is, is I think, the, the ultimate example of that, right? I mean, that, we talk about that game so much because it's like the last time the Colts did a, the Colts did a damn thing, right? So, anyhow... Right. I, I really do think, I mean, you think about Marlon Mack that year. I mean, he, he's a good back, and I like Marlon, but Marlon was also a, he was a product of this offensive line, okay, let me tell you. And, and they had a quarterback who was not a threat that year and still were able to run the ball just at a ridiculous level. So, I mean, they have done it. And I, now Phillip Rivers added to it, I think. He fit well because he, he definitely helps your protection because he is a guy who throws quick. So that always helps your protection. Jacoby Brissett did not throw quick, which is a whole other story. Anyway, um, to, to your point, I, I just think they've declined for whatever reason. Their play has declined. I don't think it was fool's goal. I think they screwed up. Or these guys have, have just gone the other way. And I, I was talking to Chris Ballard before the game the other night. We're standing there on the field, and he's like, you know, <laughs> he said, I mean, this I probably shouldn't repeat this because we were just kind of shooting the you-know-what, but – He's like, you know, you couldn't have convinced me that our that this would have been our problem this year, you know, trying to block like that's our problem, you know, of all the things, of all the things, and I so I think they're just as a they're probably just as frustrated about all this as everybody out there listening right now, and probably just as stunned about it. But anyhow, to your question, I have a comment on the the question about the the quick throws. There's an interesting take. I have an interesting take on this. I think Matt Ryan is not a is not a, a quick throw guy. He's an intermediate thrower. Look at his best throws this year. Where are they? They're in the 10 to 15 yard range, in my opinion. It's not him making the quick slants or even the screens or any of that. I mean, his best stuff is when he's, you know, kind of in the five-step drop range and, and they can kind of get some depth on the routes. And then he's able – he makes those throws pretty well, particularly the ones in the middle of the field. He can make them outside too. Alec Pierce was a real big beneficiary of that the other night. So I guess what I'm saying is I don't think that's his game. <laughs> and it doesn't mean you can't do it. It doesn't mean they don't do it. But uh, they, there's two things in addition to that. It's not, it's not Matt Ryan's game. And then it's also uh, the fact that the defense knows they can't protect and probably knows they've got to shorten up their routes. And so they, and Frank Wright talked about this today, they are definitely endeavoring to, to ensure that, that they take those away too. 
So there's there's multiple things going on there. Uh, but Matt Ryan has to be, I, I think he has to adapt to the situation as well and get it out. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, you look at adapting to the situation. Okay, that is part of it. Let me be clear. Play, play yeah. card is part of it. But I'm, I'm giving you, yeah. I'm just giving you some context as to why they aren't emphasizing it as much, you know. Uh, I, I really don't know if he loves that style. And, and I'm not saying that's a good reason. But I think that's that is a reality here too. So it's it's kind of interesting. Yeah, you know, and, and I get what you're saying, but Stephen, they can't live like this. I, agree. I mean, they can't live offensively. <laughs> they can't live like this. And I, I, I it was halftime in Denver, and I'm screaming. I'm going, oh my God! And you're right. I mean, defense is recognized, and they're going to play up, but. It doesn't look to me like the Colts are even trying. So it's not like the defense has to prepare to play up. They just don't have to because the Colts are doing their same old offensive thing while their quarterback gets pummeled and makes some of the most ill-advised, ridiculous passes we have seen since a year ago. Right? <laughs> yeah. I was wondering wait, since when. I was, I was leading up to that. I was <laughs> yeah, here a year ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's listen. It's it's confounding. A lot of it's confounding, man. And I'm, I'm just telling you, the, the the sad thing about all this is that they actually have found some guys here. Okay, they have found some things. Alec Pierce, I am all the way in, a hundred percent. This kid has. They say that you know these guys got the dog in them. This guy has the dog in him. Okay, I am convinced that I'm all the way in on this kid. Jelani Woods, I, I don't know if he's at that level, but, like, I, I think you can trust him, right? He definitely has the trust of the quarterback. Um, Moali Cox is kind of getting into to things now. I mean, Michael Pittman hasn't set the world on fire, and, and it hasn't really hurt them that much. I mean, they, they've, been, they've found other guys to go to, is my point. So, it's so funny. Like, that's the thing we thought was going to be a complete, you know, four-alarm fire for this team. And it actually isn't. And yet here we are talking about uh, the, the blocking and just the, the very fundamental thing of blocking, and they just can't even do it. And then, of course, you know, just the, 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 the execution and the, the play calling and things like that are factors as well. Stephen Holder of ESPN.com is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pipeline. I know it's been mostly negative in the type of conversation I presented here, but I will say this. Uh, the defense has, has played well. I saw more from the defensive front last game, and really it's been a little bit more consistent. And we saw the major reason why they felt it necessary to go out and bring in Stephon Gilmore. You can talk about, yeah. you know, Russell Wilson and being off and being awful on that Denver defense, but the playmaking ability in the crunch time when it matters is exactly why they went out and got him, and you saw that pay off significantly on Thursday night. No doubt about it. Listen, this defense is going to have to be their meal ticket right now. Until they get to a level of competency on offense, this is their meal ticket. But they're doing it. These guys have not allowed a single point in the fourth quarter or overtime this year. And, you know, we can talk about who they played and, and maybe water it down that way, but I don't care. I mean, the bottom line is when, when you need a stop, that has always been one of, the, one of the issues with this defense over the years has been can they get that final stop when they need it, right? And, and the answer has always been, well, we'll see. <laughs> you know, and this year the answer is you're damn right. And so I give them a lot of credit, and I, I think you do that with big plays. 
you do that with your, your big guys, your big studs making big plays. And that's what you got to have. And they're doing this without their biggest player of all on defense, Shaquille Leonard. So I give them a lot of credit. DeForest Buckner, way to show up. Stephon Gilmore, way to show up, right? Uh, Zaire Franklin, the way this guy has played, I got to tell you, he's exceeded all expectations. And maybe he's, maybe he's more of a player than, than we thought he was, right? And so sometimes in these situations, you learn about guys. My point is, this defense is what's going to keep them relevant if they're going to be relevant this year, uh, it, or at least for now. It's going to have to come from that defense. But they look up to it, uh, to be honest with you. And by the way, special shout-out to Rodney Thomas who I had no expectations for that kid. Two things. He plays really fast and he is just a hell of an athlete. I don't know anything about this guy. Seventh round pick. None of us know anything about him, but talk about taking an opportunity and running with it. Yeah. Yeah, he has no doubt. Listen, there are, there are good stories on this team, you know, and they're, you know, right there in the thick of things. More games so we can talk about them. <laughs> well, and yeah. uh, part of the issue is they it, it's just not supposed to be this way. And I mentioned this at the start. Yeah. It just seems like every week we kind of lower the bar. Well, you know, it's okay because this happened. Like we, we justified the, the, the way that they played was justified because they won a game on Thursday night. Uh, and while that is true, it all matters about the win. I think we all got a chance to watch just how bad that was. And that level of play in winning is just not sustainable. It is not. And something has to change. And that starts with the offensive line. If that doesn't change, this team goes nowhere. Yeah, look, I mean, things tend to even out in the end, right? I mean, you can't defy the odds every week. And, you know, winning with a 12, winning with 12 points is very much defying the odds. So that's not going to work on any kind of, you know, systematic basis. <laughs> okay. Let's be right. clear about that. Like that's a one-off. All right. The only reason that worked is because Russell Wilson was similarly terrible. Now the, the defense, I give it a lot of credit, but again, even with the best defensive performance, you are not winning 12 to nine football games in 2022, except for that one. <laughs> so my point is I'm with you. I agree. Uh, take the win. And I'm glad that they have been able to stay afloat while they try to figure out, you know, which way is up, but they got to figure out which way is up because this ain't going to work long-term. And they know that that's the one thing they, they won't. Maybe they, they say out loud, look, you know, there's no thing as a bad, no such thing as a bad win. I get it. I agree. Uh, but they also understand that this isn't sustainable. They know that. Hey, really quick, and then I got to run here. And I know that he's injured, dealing with a concussion, dealing with a broken nose. But at some point, we we're going to figure out that maybe Franklin and Okereke, you know, might end up being a, a better option this season because of the way the season has gone for Shaquille Leonard. Is that something we may end up be be talking about here at some point? Well, I I think we need to find out the the extent of of what he's dealing with, with this nose. I mean, it sounds like it was really, really nasty, but I, I, what I would say is this, uh, he needs to take all the time he needs. That's what I'd say. But that being said, when he's cleared and he's ready to roll, number one, you're not going to keep him out of the game. <laughs> number two, there's just a different level of juice that that guy brings. I, I mean, I, I would love to see him play 
with this this defensive personnel he's got with Stephon Gilmore on the back end, you know, with the way they're rushing the passer right now, hopefully Quiddy Pay comes back. He's dealing with that ankle. Uh, he could miss some time. We'll see. But I, I would love to see Shaq Leonard play with that group, you know, because I think there's always been something missing. It's like, oh, the pass rush isn't good or uh, they're giving up all these long passes. But if he gets back into midseason form, if that happens, uh, I really would love to see him out there. I think this group would fit him well because they've, they've got some playmaking potential and he's the biggest playmaker of all. All right, man. I appreciate you more than you know. We'll see what happens coming up on uh, on Sunday. We're in the realm of must-wins for me again. It'd be nice maybe for them to win a game within the division. Sunday would be a nice chance to do it, huh? Nice opportunity. Yeah, ho- hopefully it's easier on the eyes, too. <laughs> <laughs> I say this. At least it was it was original on Thursday. I mean, if for nothing else, there was some originality in the awfulness there. But I appreciate you more than you know. See you down there on Sunday. All right, I'll see you then. Stephen Holder of ESPN.com on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pylon. we got tickets to give away, autographed helmet to give away here, Buffalo Wild Wings. Avon, thank you very much for joining us off of US 36. Bud Light is with us as well. Quick break, and we'll come back. Get yourself up for Colts Roundtable Live, top of the hour, standalone Monday Night Football tonight. Features the Raiders and the Chiefs from Arrowhead. That and more with you inside the lounge via YouTube Live. The app is up and working fantastically. The stream is as well and 93.5 and 107.5 the fan the ride with jmv smoky this is not nom this is bowling there are rules hey. 93.5 and 107.5 the fan Stephen Holder of ESPN.com. We got Tony East on here from Forbes and WTHR.com. A little Colts Pacers conversation. Blue Monday, Buffalo Wild Wings. We're off US 36 in Avon. Bud Light's with us as well. A shout out to our friends from Zinc. We've got an autographed helmet to give away. We've got tickets to give away. What game is that, by the way? Oh, is this Sunday? The Jags game? All right. Jag- right? Jaguars tickets to give away coming up in a bit. But one of the best Buffalo Wild Wings in Central Indiana is right here. Lindsay sitting with us. Yes, sir. Lindsay, nice thank you for having us today. Thank you for Look having me. Look at this group right here. What a great group Absolutely. we're talking about. Hey, tell us about the greatness, especially on a night like tonight with Monday Night Football. Monday Night Football is one of our traditional days here at Avon Buffalo Wild Wings where we love to incorporate our community and get people in here and really raise up the crowd to enjoy our community teams around. And even those teams that aren't close to us, yep. we have tons of people coming in, lots of fans, especially Sundays are big days as well. No doubt about that. So tonight, what do we got on tap as far as the food? What are some of the traditional Monday night favorites here, Lindsay? I would say most popular would be the Coors Light. The uh, Daredevil Liftoff is popular as well. We got the Wild Herd that is a local from Indiana. What about well. food-wise here? Food-wise, I would definitely suggest the uh, Chili Queso dip is a terrific choice as well as our off awesome wings uh our traditional and our boneless our terrific sellers plenty of sauces to choose from for everybody our friends at bud light are always awesome right here as well i know you guys do a great deal of work with our friends from zinc awesome folks aren't they yes sir yes sir and we got the bud light going for you as well here we got the great food and we got monday night football featuring Absolutely. the raiders and the chiefs what more do you need right i don't know all right and uh, give us your hours too so here at avon we are open at 11 every day and we stay open at uh until 12 in the evening on our weekdays uh on the weekends, so at our weekdays, we close at 11 o'clock, and on our Friday, Saturday, we'll be closing at 12. We love to entertain our guests throughout the evening. We know we got those weekend partiers, too. We love serving them up. Have a good time. 
What do you guys think about Lindsay here? Lindsay did a heck of a job, didn't she? <laughs> yeah. Lindsay did such a great job. Thank you. Thank you. Shout out to Lindsay right there. Great to meet you, Lindsay. Great to meet you, too, a Great John. location here. Avon yes, Buffalo sir. Wild Wings off of US 36 right here. Easy to get to. Come out and have a great time, especially tonight. And if you come in here after we're gone to watch Monday Night Football, ask for Lindsay. Absolutely. Lindsay will take care of you. We Thank you, Lindsay. You. Thanks for having me again, So, John. Lindsay, Buffalo Wild Wings. I got to thank Buffalo Wild Wings for having us every single Monday and a blue Monday. And this is a fantastic spot right here. Buffalo Wild Wings. We are in Avon off of US 36. And again, a shout out always, not just on a Monday, but on a Friday. Zinc and Bud Light always with us. The guys are always here. It is an absolute fantastic time every Monday and every Friday. In fact, Thursday, we're going to be with Obviously, Heaven Hill Distillery in our week six, Larcity Bourbon Locks and Luna Azul Tequila Shots, Free Spirit in Castleton on Thursday, and then in Broad Ripple at Average Joe's coming up on Friday. Great job, Lindsay. Thank you very much. That is the rest of the week right here. But we've got Jags, Colts tickets to give away, and an autographed helmet coming up here after 6 o'clock. We'll take a break and come back. I want to thank everybody inside the lounge via YouTube Live for being a part of this. Always good. Shout out to the tech folks who have fired up the app. A lot of you are thrilled with that. Thank you guys for that. Cam's done a great job. Kyle back at the studio. We'll come back for a final time, talk with you about not only what's going to go down on Monday night, but a little bit more as far as injury news is concerned for the Jaguars entering that game coming up on Sunday. That and more. Live from the Buffalo Wild Wings, we're in Avon. Bud Light also brings us to you on this Blue Monday with 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. The Ride with JMV. If peeing your pants is cool, consider me, Miles Davis. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Hey, welcome back to Buffalo Wild Wings in Avon. Thank you very much. Going to start giving away some stuff coming up in just a minute. If you're not been here, thank you very much, brother. And you haven't signed up, get here and then sign up. Caleb Von Chason, who is an out, or I should say outside linebacker for the Jags, Placed on injured reserve. Saw that a little bit earlier today. That's where he is going right now. Former first-round pick back in 2020. Two sacks, 35 career games, limited time since the arrival of Trayvon Walker, of course, as the number one selection and uh, not going to be available coming up. Hey, come here, Jeremiah. Yo, I got you right here. This is what happens when you leave your sunglasses here. I got your back. <laughs> Lost and found is right here with me. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate you. Take it easy. But now that is the uh, injury situation right there with, with Jacksonville. Chase on goes on injured reserve. But again, not that big as far as the grand scheme of things uh, would be concerned with the Jaguars. And here we are. That's the game coming up on Sunday. Yeah, you look at it, too, and that's one of those games that you knew leading into the season the Colts had to have within their own division. But unfortunately, they've lost um, two. Certainly you thought that they had to have and then tied the other one that you certainly thought they had to have in the win column because there's going to be some catching up to do here. I mean, I know it there at the top. And, you know, things are tight within the AFC South. But at some point, you're going to absolutely have to get a division win, and that point is coming up on Sunday without question. Has to happen. We'll help get you there. As I mentioned, coming up later on this week, week six of the NFL, 
finds us at the Free Spirit with our Larceny Bourbon Locks and Luna Azul Tequila Shots. Me and Brent Halverson of the gang at the Free Spirits in Castleton. Great place. We'll be there coming up on Thursday. And then our Bud Light Blue Friday is going to come to you live. going to be a fun time in Broad Ripple coming up on Friday. Shout out to Rob Sabatini. Rob Sabatini, not only a great listener to this show, but a fantastic listener as well to the JMV Takeover, the home of Rob Sabatini. Kyle, by the way, our friend Todd Meyer says because he's been a part of that place in the past, he may make an appearance at Average Joe's in Broad Ripple coming up on Friday, which would be unprecedented, baby, for T. Meyer to make that appearance. But that's going to be a Bud Light Blue Friday. We'll have more Jaguars-Colts tickets for you in Broad Ripple coming up on Friday. That should be an absolute blast. Yeah, busy weekend, although no Colts-related stuff on Sunday. Still a busy weekend. Yeah, the Carson Wentz stuff from yesterday we talked about. Yeah, interesting matchup with the Texans and the Jaguars. Quite ridiculous. Watched a little bit of the Bears yesterday with the Vikings. Uh, really had the opportunity when the Colts play on a Thursday like that, you really have the chance to see all these other teams and what they're doing and what they're about. You wouldn't necessarily get that if the Colts were playing. You had that chance yesterday. You know, whether it was, you know, watching the Bears or the Vikings or, you know, whatever else was happening for you yesterday. I don't know how many people tuned in to watch that London game with the Packers and the Giants yesterday morning as well. But always kind of fun to look at that Sunday without the Colts. I guess you feel similar to the bye week through the lens of not having to worry about on that particular day what the Colts were doing because they had that win going back to Thursday night in Denver. But we'll find out a little bit more later on this week. The injury concerns and what may or may not happen with Jonathan Taylor, his return. I thought maybe Jonathan Taylor would have played had it been a longer normal week this past week. But the short week, I thought, sidetracked him a great deal. Uh, We'll find out a little bit more regarding Shaquille Leonard, his concussion, that broken nose as well as the latest on Ryan Kelly coming up later on this week. Shout out to everybody here at Buffalo Wild Wings and Avon. Had a great time. We're going to give away stuff. In just a second, thank you to our friends at Bud Light as well on this Blue Monday. Cam, great job from you, the on-site engineer. Back of the studio, Kyle, once again, fantastically done. Up next, Colts Roundtable Live. Matt and the gang have the latest regarding the Colts and more, and I'm going to give away some stuff here in just a second with 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Have a great night. Back in studio with you tomorrow at 3 o'clock.